Well, it is a privilege to be here. It's always a privilege to share God's Word. And I got to tell you, I, I feel so blessed to um, be able to still be in this church. I uh, haven't passed the baton to Jason. I love it every Sunday morning coming to hear Jason preach and our other staff and our times of worship together. It just fills my heart with joy. Uh, every community in our country needs a church like this. A place where you can come and feel welcomed, a place where you can grow in your relationship with God, where you can bring friends and neighbors to come and to hear the truth of God's Word. Um, we, we are blessed, and I'm looking forward to sharing with you this morning. When Jason asked me to speak this Sunday, he told me it would be between sermon series that uh, he was working on, and so I could pick uh, any text that I wanted to speak on. I thought, wow, that's kind of nice. You know, I, I get to uh, think about this. And as I prayed about it, I wanted to share something that would be good news for a new year, something that would encourage our hearts as we begin this year. When we look back on 2022, I mean, there's been a lot of tough things that we have seen in the news. Uh, you think of the war in Ukraine, which is just so unjust. The people that were living peacefully uh, invaded by another country. And then the wanton kind of indiscriminate destruction of cities and homes and civilian targets. It's just evil. And we see that. And our hearts go out to them in prayer. I think of the divisions in our own country that we see pop up at time. Uh, we saw it in the election. And when I look at what's going on in our country, it's not just divided government, but the vision that the left and the right have for the future of our country is so different. It's so different. You know, and when we think about what's happening morally in our country, I mean, I feel like we're living at a time when either we need a revival once again to come to America or the Lord's going to return very soon. It just, you see those things happening. I think of the increased crime, the lawlessness, the disregard for human life. Oh, we just saw last week and a murder at the Mall of America again. And you're just going, and these are young adults or there are children whose lives are being taken away by the senseless violence in our world. And then for all of us, we are feeling the effects of inflation, cost of living uh, going up, cost of everything we buy. And while that's all going up, you're probably watching your retirement funds go down as the market had the worst year since 2008. And we look at all that, and, and it weighs on us. And in times like this, it is good to remember that God is still on his throne, that God is still sovereign, and he's not surprised by anything that's happening in our world. And as his children, we can trust him. You know, when I think about the passage I want to share this morning, I, I went to Romans chapter 8, and we're going to be looking at verses 28 to 39 this morning. Paul wrote this letter to believers in Rome who were also going through their own trials, which included suffering and persecution. I mean, their trials, the threat of losing their life just for being a believer was real. And they were viewed with suspicion by the people in Rome. You know, who are these people that will not say Caesar is Lord? 
but instead will only bow the knee to Jesus as Lord, to God the Father. And, and they were mistrusted, they were ostracized, they lost jobs, they lost possessions, and in some cases, they even lost their lives. And Paul wrote this letter to the Romans to encourage them, to give them hope, to tell them what God has planned for those who love him, to have that kind of confidence as we too go through life in a fallen world and to know that God is with us each step of the way. If there is one thing that I would like you to take away from today's message, it is this statement, God is for us. Would you say that with me? God is for us. That is such a powerful statement. The God who made the universe, as we sang, the God who spoke and created 100 billion galaxies by his word is the God who is for you and me. Well, let's take a look at this passage. I'm going to read it as we go through it. One of the first things we see in Romans 8, 28 is that God is at work for our good in every situation. God is at work for our good in every situation. Romans 8, 28 says this, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. When you look at those verses, they are just jam-packed with spiritual truth. I mean, look at verse 28 again, when Paul writes that we know, we know that God is at work in everything, in every situation. We can know with certainty, we can know with confidence that God is at work in our life. And it says he is at work in all things, not just some things, not just a few things, but God is at work in all things for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. This is a promise for believers. It's for those who love God and love his son and want to know him better, that God is there. And he doesn't say that all things are good. There are many things that happen in this world and that can happen in our life that are evil or tragic or painful or hard or challenging. But God is so great that he can even take the worst schemes of the devil and use them for good in the life of the believer. Just like he did with Joseph in the Old Testament when Joseph was sold into slavery by his own brothers, unjust, unfairly treated. And yet God had a plan and he used Joseph's life to preserve a nation. God was at work even when Joseph couldn't see it and understand it initially. And you look at these verses again and you see how much God cares for his children. What an incredible promise we are given here that God will be at work for your good and my good in every situation in our life. I know it's hard to feel like that when you are suffering. 
I know it's hard to feel like that when the news you get from the doctor isn't what you hoped. I know it's hard to feel like that when you see your children struggling or going through trials of their own and you long for that to be different. But God is at work. And we can't, from our vantage point, see all the things that he is doing or where it may lead. I, I like what John Piper, he said. Uh, he said that, you know, at any given moment, God is at work in your life in 10,000 different ways, and you might be aware of two or three of them. You know, it's just there's so much that he is doing because he is an infinite God. And what does the Scripture tell us here? That God has a purpose for our life, and his purpose is to make us like his son, Jesus. He predestined us to be conformed into the image of his son, Jesus. He wants our, our character to be refined. He wants us to become more Christ-like in our thoughts, and our speech, and our actions. He wants the fruit of the Spirit to be something that just overflows from our life. Look at verses 29 and 30. There is a lot of theology packed into these two verses. They form an unbroken chain that extends from eternity past to eternity future. In eternity past, God foreknew, and he predestined us. He predestined those who would become his children. I mean, God knew you and I before we were even born. And he had a plan for our life. And his plan was that we would come to know his son, Jesus, as our Savior. In this present age, he calls and he justifies everyone who comes to him by faith in Jesus Christ. That's what happens when we hear the gospel. And the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and our need for a Savior. And we, we repent of our sin. We turn to Christ in faith. And we place our trust in him as our Savior and Lord. We are changed in a moment. And we are justified. God takes our sin, places them upon the sinless one. And in return, he takes the righteousness of Christ and he places that upon us and we are covered by the righteousness of Christ. We are justified, just as if we had never sinned. It's amazing. And in the future, we shall be glorified. This process of sanctification that begins in this life, this refining of us, will be completed in that day when we stand before him and we are made righteous, free from all our sin, free from all the trials and the cares of this life, and we will stand before God, complete in him. The scripture says that we will see him just as he is, face to face, and we will be made like him. Wow. You know, the amazing thing here in these verses is the way Paul states it means that it is as good as done. All who are called will be justified, and all who are justified will be glorified. How does God do that? Well, the process God uses to make us more like Jesus involves suffering. 
That's not the only thing God uses. God uses all of the habits of grace. He uses our growing in the knowledge of the word, in prayer, in worship, in fellowship. He uses all of those things to help us grow in our relationship with him. We learn from one another. And as we study the scriptures together, or we hear it taught, and we take that and assimilate that in our life, we are changed. And God uses all of those things. But he also uses suffering to refine us. It's interesting how the scripture says that that was even true for Jesus. In the book of Hebrews, uh, it says this in Hebrews 2.10, that in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Now, wait a minute. I mean, wasn't Jesus God? Yes, he is. Wasn't he sinless? Yes, he was, and he is. How did he become perfect then through suffering? It was his identifying with us in our humanity, in our trials and our struggles, and then taking upon himself our sin that he became the perfect representative for us. It was his joining and understanding all that we go through, being tempted yet without sin, feeling the grief that comes when a loved one dies, understanding what that's like as a human. All of those things he participated in, which is why he became that perfect representative for us before God the Father. It is also true for us in the book of Peter, Peter writes that in all this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Do you notice he says that we should even rejoice in these things? That God is refining us. He's purifying. He's proving the genuineness of our faith. I think of all of the martyrs who chose to lay down their life rather than deny Christ. Brought him honor and glory. They were saying to the world that Jesus is worth everything I have, even my own life. Sometimes in this life, we can see examples of how God uses our trials for good. In other situations, we're going to have to wait till heaven. And I know you may have questions about some of the things that have happened in your life, wondering what God was doing at that time. And I do when I look back. But in other areas, I can see such clear examples that I stand in awe of a God who can use things that we would never have planned for his good. One of those examples occurred in the life of our son recently. Some of you have heard me share this in our ABFs. But um, in 2019, our son, he's the second one from the left, uh, our son Matt went to Norway as a church planter. Norway needs the gospel. Church attendance is about 5%. People have gone back to kind of pagan worship again in many cases, and there are very few churches that are teaching the Word of God. 
And so Matt went there first in 2018 to a conference where he met um, these gentlemen. He met about 80 young adult men and women who were at a conference to study the Bible. And they were there because they had listened online to preachers like John Piper or Bible teachers like Al Mohler or R.C. Spruill. And they had come to know Christ and they were hungry to grow in the Word. And when they heard what Matt was interested in doing and starting a church there, they said, you are so needed. And many of us are driving two to three hours to find a church that will teach the Bible. And so uh, Matt went in uh, September of 2019, moved there with his wife and their four children uh, to start a new church in the Stavanger area. And that was six months before COVID shut everything down. Now, church planning is hard enough, you know, <laughs> without restrictions on meeting and all of the things that happen. And so now Matt found himself, I got to create an online service, you know, where he is the preacher, he's the worship leader, and he is the tech guy, all at the same time trying to pull this together. Not the ideal situation, you wouldn't think. But through that witness online, there were more people who heard about the church and became interested. And there were also these three men, Thomas, Hovar, and Peter, who are in their 20s, going to early 30s, who want to be pastors. They have full-time jobs, but they're uh, young Norwegian men who want to be pastors. And so for two years during COVID, Matt met with them every Wednesday night to study the scriptures and to mentor them. He took them through a course uh, written by Simeon Struss that helps you to study the scriptures and learn how to put together messages based on the word and to be able to share that with others. And during the course of that time, as they became familiar with that method, uh, he had two of them write sermons, and one Wednesday night, those two would give it, and the other two would give feedback, and then he'd flip it around the next week, and the other two guys would write sermons. And what was happening was they're building up this backlog of messages prepared. And on Reformation Sunday in 2021, they were ordained and they were sent out as church planters. And so now where there were very few churches in that area that were teaching the word, there are three. Now, who would have thought, you know, that that was a way to multiply the work? I mean, but God was at work doing something that was so significant. And sometimes you can get so busy and caught up in other things that you neglect the importance of discipleship and helping others to grow in their relationship with God. It was marvelous. Because God is for us, he is always at work for our good. And secondly, we see in this scripture that God freely provides all that we need Look at verses 31 to 34. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God 
and is also interceding for us. What a powerful statement is made here. If God is for us, who can be against us? There are many examples in Scripture of this truth of how God will provide for us or his promise to do so. In the Old Testament, Psalm 84.10 says that no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. In Matthew 6, Jesus said that we should not worry about tomorrow. We shouldn't worry about what we're going to eat or what we're going to drink or what we're going to wear. For our Father knows all these things. Even before we ask him, he knows what we need. But instead, he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Put God first in your heart. Put him first in your time. Put him first in the way that you live, and God will take care of you, and he will provide what you need. In Philippians 4.19, Paul wrote, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Sitting around the Christmas table at our dinner this year, we were talking with our sons Jason and Ben, who were home. And, you know, the conversation turned to thinking about God's blessings and how he has provided for them. And I said, Do you remember when I said to you that, you know, God has worked in your mom and dad's life, and he has led us each step of the way, all the way, and provided for us, and sometimes just amazing ways where we have seen his hand. And God will do that for you too. Your journey's going to be different. It's not going to be the same way. God's going to do it in different ways for you, but we were talking about those blessings, and it is truly amazing to see and think about what God has done. And they shared about the lean times in life. You know, when you're starting out and you don't have much and how you're just trying to make do. But God was there and he got you through those times. And so many people I've talked to, I've looked back in those early years, say in their marriage, where they were struggling and they didn't have much. But God was good. And there was joy and there was happiness in those moments. And there are things that we learned that we wouldn't learn any other way. You know, I think about this statement that if God has already given us the best and most costly gift he could give his son, how will he not also take care of our other needs? I mean, doesn't that make sense that he's going to provide for us the ordinary things that we need to? And who will bring a charge against us when the only one whose opinion matters has already justified us? and who is there interceding on our behalf before the Father's throne. Jesus died for us. He loves us. Jesus rose again. He is victorious. He has triumphed over sin and death and Satan. Jesus is seated at God's right hand. He is interceding for us. And when the accuser reminds us of our sin and guilt, all we have to do is to look up and see our Savior standing there, the one who made an end to all our sin. This past year, I read Eric McTax's uh, biography of Martin Luther, and it was powerful. And what I really appreciated was the context that he gave, the historical setting where he described what was going on at that time because it was very different from our own.
I mean, at that time, um, the printing press was just something that was going to be a new invention. And so uh, people didn't have Bibles. The ordinary person didn't have a Bible, but you know what? Most of the priests didn't have a Bible either. They just kind of did what they had been taught to do. And the orders came from Rome and from the Pope. This is what you're supposed to do, and that's what they did. But because people didn't have the Word of God, there were strange practices in some ways, things that came up. For example, um, they were taught, you know, that God is the judge, and he is, he's going to punish you for your sins. He was not portrayed as a loving Heavenly Father. He was portrayed as somebody who's really there to uh, carry out his wrath. But even Jesus was not portrayed as much as our loving Savior and brother and one who died for us as much as he was also portrayed as a judge in the future. And so you better shape up. You better toe the line. So what developed out of that is why people began to pray to Mary. Mary was human. Mary was the mother of Jesus. And so, you know, she was more approachable. And it's why they began to pray to saints, because they were more approachable, you know, in their humanity. They might understand us, could intercede. And all this developed in spite of the fact that nowhere in Scripture does it ever tell us that we are to pray to Mary or the saints? We are to pray to God the Father in the name of the Son and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we bring our request to him because Jesus has opened that doorway for us. Luther, as a young man, visited Rome, saw the decadence, saw the excesses, saw the luxury that they were living in when ordinary people were suffering. And what appalled him most was the sale of indulgences, this idea that if you bought this slip of paper from the church, an indulgence, you could buy your relatives out of purgatory. You know, you could pay so much, and you could, you know, help your mother uh, get out of her suffering or your father get out of her suffering. Well, who wouldn't want to do that if that's the way you believe the system works? But all that money went to further the luxury of those that were living in that kind of decadent lifestyle. And Luther was different. Luther began to study the scriptures and again was appalled by what he was seeing. And the reason he nailed his 95 points of contention on that door of the castle church in Wittenberg was because he wanted to talk about these things. He wasn't looking to start a new church. He wanted to reform the church that was. And he did that knowing that it might cost him his life. But Luther was not alone in his fight to reform the church. He had a good friend, Philip Melanchthon, who worked with him at Wittenberg. Luther was a fighter. Melanchthon was a scholar. Luther would describe their relationship in this way. He said, I am rough, boisterous, stormy, and altogether warlike, fighting against innumerable monsters and devils. I am born for the removing of stumps and stones, cutting away thistles and thorns, and clearing the wild forest. But Master Philippus, he comes along softly and gently, sowing and watering with joy according to the gifts that God has abundantly bestowed on him. 
Luther, again, was a fighter. Melanchthon was a scholar, gentle and winsome. Melanchthon liked people, and people liked him. And together, you know, they stood against the corruption that was in the church. They were as different as Paul and Timothy in the New Testament, and they really needed one another. Well, where did their courage come from to face these opponents? Their courage came from God. And it was this verse that if God is for us, who can be against us? That they quoted more often in their correspondence than any other verse. In fact, if you were to go to Wittenberg today, you could see that verse that is still hanging on the wall in the study where he worked. If God is for us, who can be against us? And thirdly, God will allow nothing to separate us from his love. Look at verses 35 to 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Who can separate us from his love? Can suffering? No. Can cancer? No. Can death? No. Can demons? No. Can life? No. Can rulers? No. Can distance? No. Can time? No. In fact, nothing in all creation can separate us from his love. God loves you, and he will never stop loving you. We don't deserve it. It is freely given. God in his grace has chosen to set his affection upon you. Even in the difficult times in life, he is there. On December 22nd, 2005, Tony Dungy and his wife received the painful news that their 18-year-old son had taken his own life. They were shocked and they were devastated by it. Their 18-year-old son, Jamie, who had struggled and felt, you know, at times just this inner turmoil, had chosen to end his own life. How do you handle a situation like that? What do you say? Well, Tony Dungy would later write about that experience in his book, Quiet Strength. And most of you know Tony Dungy was a football player and then an NFL coach, Super Bowl winner, and he has written and talked about that as a person of faith. At the funeral service, Tony read these words from Psalm 34. Now, Jason picked Psalm 34 to begin today, too, not knowing I was going to include it also in the message. But Tony read these words of King David, I will bless the Lord. And praise for him will always be in my mouth. 
And he shared that David didn't write that at a time of triumph. David wrote it when he was on the run from Saul who was trying to take his life. David wrote that in desperation. And yet even so, he could say, I will bless the Lord. And praise for him will always be in my mouth. Tony continued, when Jamie was five years old, he accepted Christ as his Savior. And when Lauren and I would talk to him about his identity, about who he was and who he wanted to become, that was one thing that we could tell him for sure, for certain, that his identity was in Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote, as we have read, that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And he said, that's why we have joy today. We had Jamie for 18 short years, but God has him now, and he will have Jamie forever. And so we press on. We press on with our memories, our hearts buoyed by a God who loves us and wants us to know him deeply. We press on with our sense that life's not always fair. And we press on with the knowledge and assurance that even though we can't see all of God's plan, he is there at work and in charge loving us. We press on with the conviction that even though we don't deserve the gifts and blessings we've been given, he gives them anyway. And we press on into an abundant life on earth, followed by an eternity with God. We are more than conquerors through him who loves us. What a great promise to hold on to as we enter into a new year. God is for us. Do you believe that? Do you know it in your head and in your heart? Do you show it in the way that you live? Would you carry these thoughts with you into the new year? And I want you to personalize these statements, and that's the way I've written it. God is for me. It's not just that God is for us collectively, but God is for you as an individual. God's purpose for my life is good. He has a plan. There's a reason you are here. There are gifts that he has given to you. There are opportunities that you have that no one else will have because of the circle of people that you know. Will you use them and join with God in his work? God will provide all that I need. I don't know what it may be that you are seeking today. But God is there and he knows what is best and no good thing will he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. And nothing can separate me from his love. Nothing in all creation. You know, I want to encourage you to do one more thing as I end the message today. One of the best ways that we can grow in our relationship with him is by having a regular time in the Word, a time to read the Scripture and pray. I don't know if you've ever made it a goal to read through the Bible in a year, but I would encourage you to do that if you haven't. I just finished in Revelation yesterday. 
I don't know how many times I've read through the Bible. It's been a lot, and sometimes I've, I've gone a little slower because I wanted to spend more time in a certain passage, and other times I just pick up a reading guide like this, and we have some out on the table in the back where you can get a reading guide, and you can follow along and check it off and go through the Scriptures. If that is new to you, I would encourage you also to have a help like use a study Bible that's going to have some notes that help you to understand what you are reading. Or maybe there's a guide like walk through the Bible that you could use as a way to read and study at the same time. But that habit, when done uh, with openness and with a heart to learn, is transforming. It's something we all need. We need to hear from God every day. And to spend that time with him in the word and prayer is a life skill that I hope you'll not only begin, but continue every day of your life. Let's pray. Father, what a rich passage this is. That you are for us. That you have a purpose and plan for our life. That you are a provider of all things and the blessings you give are beyond measure to know that nothing can separate us from your love and that you are at work for our good in every situation. Those are great truths. And Father, I pray that as we begin a new year that we would make that choice to walk with you each and every day in the power of your Holy Spirit to get to know you better, to listen to your leading, and to follow you, to follow you and to be a blessing in the lives of those that we meet. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand for our benediction? It's one of my favorites from the book of Judges, verses 24 and 25. And now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now, and forevermore. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, friends, thanks for joining us online today. If you have further questions, are in need of prayer, or would like to give financially to the ministries of Lakes Free Church, I encourage you to visit our website, lakesfree.org. There you'll also find information regarding our upcoming events. You can access all of our past sermon series, along with a host of other valuable resources. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our Sunday services or other events. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us, and may God bless you.